This is episode 114 and I'm excited to welcome my guest Teresa Vosa to the podcast. Teresa and I will talk about burnout and burnout prevention and specifically what are some of the underlying patterns that keep getting in the way of us setting clear boundaries, more sustainable work-life integrations and setups so that we don't fall into these traps where we're overextended and feel exhausted of the work. Oftentimes, this happens particularly when people move into bigger roles or new jobs, where it's a sense of wanting to prove something to yourself or to other people, or just going the extra mile to be successful. And if those underlying patterns aren't sorted out and clarified from the beginning and expectations are managed out of the gate, it will be harder to do so down the road. So if you ever felt like, yeah, I get into these situations where I'm overcommitted or I feel exhausted or even I worry about burning out, then this is the perfect podcast for you. I love all the good stuff. Teresa shares a lot of very actionable and tactical tips on how to get started. She does this with her clients all day, every day. So she knows a thing or two about this. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, let's go. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team successfully, and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress and dread, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders who know how to lead so everyone wins and grows. In this show, you learn how to think, communicate, and act as the confident and competent leader you know you can be. Welcome to Teresa Voza. She is a leadership expert, certified executive coach, and former human resources executive with over 20 years of corporate experience, most recently at Allianz Partners as CHRO. She is highly skilled in leading change, building executive acumen, and communicating with impact. She is a go-to coach for highly accomplished corporate professionals who are looking to seriously up-level their impact. And you can learn all about Teresa at Teresa Bosa, V-O-C-C-A, that is, dot C-A, because Teresa is from Canada. Welcome, Teresa, to the Manager Track Podcast. Thank you, Ramona. I'm so glad to be here. Well, there's a lot of things that we could talk about because we have so much in common. But I want to focus on this conversation, talking to you a little bit more about preventing burnout and sort of some of the things that get people and not just women. I know that you do a lot of work with women um, and there's a little bit of a maybe a bias or a correlation between Mm -hmm. gender and burnout, Mm -hmm. but it impacts all of us. And I'd love to learn more about your perspective on this and what strategies and tips that you share with your audience and your clients to help them prevent burnout or even recognize some of the red flags and signals that may be coming up in this process. Because as we all know, the last few years, this is something that was on the rise, still is Mm -hmm. on the rise. And like we just talked about before we hit record, even with going back to the office and with working remote, it really keeps being a big issue. But enough of me talking. Teresa, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be where you are today and the work that you do with your clients today. Absolutely. Thanks, Ramona. So I came by this rather personally, to be very honest. 
I was a rising executive in human resources for a very large global firm, as you mentioned, Allianz Partners. And about seven years ago now, I experienced my first quote unquote burnout. So I'll never forget the day that I was in an interview with my CEO and a chief medical officer, if you can believe it, when I had an anxiety attack. And at the time, I wasn't aware that it was actually an anxiety attack. I really truly believed that I was having a heart attack. So that led me down a path of really having to come to terms with how I was working. And I wanted to believe that the problem was not with me. The problem was with my heart. And after several trips to the emergency ward and doctors telling me, you have high stress, you are on the brink of burnout, and you need to figure out a way to slow down. That was the first, I would say, foray into really becoming interested in how burnout affects individuals. Yes, I work with women, but I have seen burnout affect men as well. And in fact, I saw it a couple of times with executives, male executives in the industry. However, this is the funny thing about this, Ramona, is that I was new. I was a new vice president at the time. I had just been promoted. Mm -hmm. And I was doing what probably a lot of leaders and a lot of people who listen to your podcast do, which was trying to impress, trying to prove myself that I could handle the big job. And I was leading new people, people of whom I didn't lead before. They were my peers. And I was just going full steam. I was saying yes to everything. I did not even know what boundaries meant by then. I had a vague idea that it meant something about saying no. And mm -hmm. I was not someone that was well-equipped to know how to do that. And so that began my foray into understanding how to recognize and prevent burnout from happening, not only to myself, but to the other leaders that at the time I was leading in an HR capacity, but now in my profession as an executive coach, how do I help them recognize the signs of burnout as well? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much that you just shared. I think it's really important to sort of really hear that because when you said, I thought it was something with my heart mm -hmm. and it wasn't the stress, like that is just from the outside hearing this and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you didn't notice as you were, as this was building up, you didn't notice how yeah. it was actually impacting you. And like your body was absorbing it and taking it in until it could not take it anymore. Mm -hmm. But because your ambition or your drive and your eagerness to contribute and all the things, some people it's perfectionism, right? They sort of also oftentimes want to prove that we can do it. And so saying no comes with that. Oh my gosh, I might not look like I can do it. Completely. People, right. So it's these drivers that overrule any physical sensation mm -hmm. that we might have, mm -hmm. building that awareness of like, oh my gosh, I'm running mm -hmm. a really, really low fuel. Yeah, yeah. I remember very distinctly feeling that I had no choice. And mm -hmm. not only that, I remember distinctly feeling that this was the price you pay. Yeah. I grew up with the understanding that if you want to play in the big leagues, then you need to act a certain way and you need to say yes to things. And so what I did was I confused having a strong sense of urgency 
which is a really attractive trait in a new leader for sure. Mm -hmm. But I confuse that with at all costs. So a strong sense of urgency at the cost of my family, at the cost of my health. And you're right. I didn't even know it was happening to me because it was such an embedded belief that this is the way it was. I just had to be okay with the pressure that I ignored the signs that my body was, was telling me like the anxiety that seemed to follow me everywhere I went, which I just assumed was part of being a new employee. And there's some truth to that, but not sustained anxiety. And I had been going through sustained anxiety. I was losing weight so many telltale signs. I wasn't sleeping as well. I was working well beyond the point of exhaustion. I was working in the evening, hoping my bosses would see my emails come in at 10 o'clock at night because I was trying to impress. I jokingly call it the validation vampire, right? Because, (laughs) right. It's like, if I'm really honest with you, that's part of what my DNA was all about. And I think New leaders can fall prey to that pretty easily, especially if you're ambitious and especially if you want to get promoted. So that was something that I learned over time that I had to really manage. Mm, So good. Yeah. I remember in my early career, I grew up with this belief that in order to be successful, you had to work really hard. That was role modeled by my dad specifically. And I thought role model unintentionally, obviously, and unconsciously, yeah. it wasn't yeah. like telling me that that's the way it is, but that's what I made it mean when I saw my dad build his business and mm-hmm. him working a lot. And I thought that's just the price you pay. Mm-hmm. And so it was really important that I would have a partner in my life who was very understanding and who valued this sort of, you know, career and independence so that I could go on and work crazy hours. That was sort of the image that I painted and how mm-hmm. I wanted to run my, my career And then, so that is totally that underlying belief that makes it all okay. And we say yes to all these things and not even thinking about boundaries because that wasn't part of my mental model. No. And then they're like, the thing of not having choice. I vividly remember someone was telling me, can't you just say no? Like, I I think I was like saying, I'm sorry, I have to cancel plans. And someone's like, can you you just say no to your boss? And I thought, you have no idea. You have no no, idea. (laughs) No, in my field, you don't say no to your boss. That's not not a thing. And then I remember there was one person in the company who had created this environment where he would leave at five religiously mm. and he would never work at nine, would never work on the weekends. And in my head, I couldn't wrap my mind around how he did that and mm. still have the job that he had, which he was mm. a few levels above me. And I thought he must have some like magical superpower that I don't know of. <laughs> which looking, back, looking back, it's like, no, he just knew better. He set boundaries. Yeah. And, and he know, created value that was yeah. beyond his hours at work. I was like, oh, darn it. I love what you just yeah. said because that's exactly it. Right. And I often say to my female clients, especially, but to both, both male and female clients, that you almost need to train your manager. Like you need mm-hmm. to train your leader in how you conduct yourself. So, for example, I remember. Mm-hmm. When I was asked about taking on the leadership role, one of the things that my then CEO asked me was, so what is important to you? What is it that you want to be very clear of when, if you were to be offered this role? And I said the right words, but I didn't live them. I said, look, my family comes first. 
I have no problem working hard. However, you know, at five o'clock, I'm going to have dinner with my family and then I'm going to log in again at seven. Mm -hmm. And the truth is I didn't do that. I actually did work past five o'clock and I worked through dinner and then I, so, and I, I fell prey to wanting to make an impression, but when you train your manager, it's as, I want to say it's as simple, but it's not simple, but it's really about coming up with the statement that is repeated over time. And it's around, I call it like really firm statements to say, you know what, I would love to do that for you. I'm going to have dinner. I'm going to go to my daughter's dance recital. And then when I get back, I'll check into that for you. And that alone is training your manager that, hey, I am I am here to help you. I'm here to really look at the ideas that you're presenting. However, I need you to know, again, almost unconsciously, that my family is a priority. And over time, managers actually come to respect that. And that's the thing that I always say to new leaders as well is keep in mind that your leader almost wants to know how you work. And mm -hmm. so if family is important to you, train them in the way you speak to them and train them in the way you work and don't set yourself up to fail by right out of the gate, sending emails at 10 o'clock, because guess what? They'll expect you to do that all the time. And again, I say that it's easier said than done, but when you have these tools ahead of time, you're better equipped and better prepared to start off your leadership role, setting out the right foundation. Yeah, this is so good because I think also that when we don't do that out of the gate and part of this starts with the awareness, of, oh, this is what's happening. I am training them. And so if I train them the wrong way unintentionally, because I'm not paying attention to it, yeah, <laughs> then I'm going to have to untrain and retrain. And that, yeah. is, that is then leaving a signal or sending a message, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. When in fact, that's exactly the message we don't want to send, right? We exactly. don't want to say I can't cope or something is wrong or I'm not happy. Yeah. Instead, yeah. we do want to send this message like, no, no, I'm just setting myself up for success here, like long-term mm -hmm. success, not mm -hmm. three months kind of su success. And then I get exhausted or resentful. But instead, I'm setting this in place in order to deliver high value over yeah. the long term without sending a message something is wrong. Because when we retrain, <laughs> well, then we the point like, yeah, something is not working well. Yeah. yeah. And then we kind of confuse them, right? Yep. And so when you start off with an understanding of how you want to work and how you want to work with your leader, then it's much easier to uphold boundaries because you've, you've set it from the very beginning. Boundaries start to feel really awkward when you have not subscribe to any of them for so mm -hmm. long. And all of a sudden you, you know, you're throwing over the fence and your leader's looking at you like, what you you're leaving at five. They're confused. So mm -hmm. one of my favorites and for any of your viewers, if, I mean, I have boundary statements that I provide to all of my people on my list, but one of the things that I always say is if you want my a hundred percent, this is what I need. I just need to go for a run. And then, I'm, you know, I'm going to come back and have a shower. I'm going to have some food. And then I'm going to commit some time to looking at this. And rather than asking them, you're telling them. Mm -hmm. And again, a good leader. And look, there are some leaders that are just, they're not great leaders. But those who really care about the well-being of their employees will be like, oh, okay, great. No problem. And you're signaling to them that you are an individual that cares about their health. So again, you're training them on what you care about without having to come out and say, I don't have time to do that, right? Yeah. Because that's that's what I would call a, a rigid 
boundary that just sets up a, almost like a friction with your leader. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that you necessarily need to say, I don't have time. You can simply say, I need to do this first, and then I will get to that. And you'll, you're going to get a great job or a great proposal sent to you in the morning. Or the renegotiating of timelines and yeah. renegotiating of uh, priorities. But as long as we're managing expectations and we are really yeah. clear with that and solid, that makes it so much easier on everyone. Mm-hmm. So speaking about preventing burnout, we talked already about some of the things that are important to set in place early on, the earlier, mm-hmm. the better mm-hmm. and things to pay attention to. What else would you suggest for people listening who say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit um, like burning on both sides of the candle. Yeah. Well, I think, I think when you're starting out, when you're starting to come to terms like, Hey, you know what? I think I might be burnt out. One, I think it's super important to understand what are the activities that are driving it. So what are the activities, the behaviors that are driving it that you can recognize within yourself? So for example, many times when I work with clients for the first time, they have a good idea of what it is that they're doing. So they'll mm-hmm. come to me and say, look, I know I shouldn't be saying yes to all of this, but I just don't know how to say no. Or mm-hmm. I know I shouldn't be logging in at night, but I just keep continuing to do so. So very first thing is to really identify, like, what specifically are you doing that's starting to give rise to what I call overwork? Because it starts with overwork, right? Mm-hmm. And then once you do that, I think it's really important to ask for help and ask for help can come in many different forms. It can come in the way of what you said earlier around renegotiating timelines with your boss. It can come in in the form of working with a coach to help uncover those underlying beliefs that are giving rise to this inability to say no, because a lot of times it is really a, a pattern that's emerged since you were quite young. I think it's like just pausing. Yeah. Right. Because it's so interesting how we say like, I don't know how to say no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You say no. You're like, we all know how to say no. It's really not that don't know how to say no. It's very much that all this, this stuff that comes up when we think about having to say no. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the stuff that comes up in your body. Like I can remember when I started to play around with boundaries, it would feel really bloody uncomfortable because my neurology wasn't wired that way yet. Mm -hmm. I was wired to always say yes. So when I started to play and I always encourage my clients just to play with it, start with something really like low hanging fruit, like say no to your child when he asks you to buy an Oculus for the 10th time or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. That's a personal example, but Mm -hmm. um, so like just start practicing with small things and then work your way to bigger things but be prepared for it to be a little uncomfortable. That's Mm -hmm. growth is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think that is really important. And and especially for new managers, I think it's also important that we don't overmanage because sometimes where I see burnout happening with, with new leaders is that because they're so vested in making an impression and, and doing really good work, they tend to micromanage. And so they tend to really like hoard over their employees and making sure that everything is like, you know, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. And I would really encourage your like new managers just to kind of adopt a wait and see approach, allow yourself the time to see what your new employees or your employees uh, generate for you. And, you know, honestly, tried and true, have interest outside of work. 
burnout, especially among millennials and among the newer youth generation, it's high. And I think a lot of it is also stemmed from the fact that they're trying so hard to like climb up the ladder. So having things outside of work that are anchors or that are meaningful to you does allow you to put things into perspective. So have something you can go to after five o'clock, because Mm -hmm. if you don't, then what'll happen is you'll work till eight and then you'll start setting that cycle. Mm -hmm. I'm sharing a quick personal example here, but I'd love to hear also from you and stories or some examples of how clients specifically do this and what happens when they start to make these changes. But I do remember vividly, there was a time when I thought, and I was maybe working with my coach at the time, and I realized that one of my values is, it's not one of my core values, but something that's important to me is the connection to nature. Mm. And I realized that I see nature never. Mm. <laughs> Other than Saturday, Sunday, when I yeah. might you know, go out with my kids, but I lived in the city and I would commute to work and commute back and be at my place. Before I would pick up my kids, I would stop for five minutes at the park, which is like a block away from my kids' preschool. And I would take my shoes off and walk in the grass for five minutes, Mm -hmm. just like stroll around and get back in the car and then go get the kids. And the five minutes in the park, regardless of the weather and my outfit, I was Mm -hmm. very inappropriate in the park. (laughs) All of that, it it was like, I can build in five minutes. My kids are not going to know the difference at the end of the day if I pick them up at five or 505. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that made a big difference for me. It was a small realization of like, where can I find these little slots to really yeah. refuel, reconnect in a way that was meaningful to me? Yeah, that's so huge. And I can relate because nature is my restorative activity as well. I, another example I can give, um, just thinking back to some of my, some of my client stories is, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot from people is the phone, Right. Mm-hmm. And so having the phone and having it be visible and having it be with you at all times. So one of the things one of my clients did was um, we encouraged her to start putting notifications off at certain times. And so what she did is she'd put it off from like, like literally just 10 minutes at times, she'd put the notifications off. And if it was, you know, after three o'clock when her kids were already home, she would spend a quality 10 minutes sitting on the porch with him having a snack and just talking about his day. Keep in mind, this was only 10 minutes. I mean, the kids after 10 minutes, they don't want to be asked, how's your day anymore? They want to go and do whatever they want. So she would do that because what happens is when you have the guilt on top of the burnout, the guilt of not being around for your family or ignoring your kids or being irritable, then carving out a simple 10 minutes to really connect distraction-free even that is enough time to feel your battery start to recharge because you've done something of high value for both your child and for yourself. So that is, you know, one thing I I've seen happen. And and I know for myself personally, one of the things I started to really practice when I was in leadership was every night. And I still do this from 8 PM to 7 AM I never have my phone in the bedroom. I literally keep it downstairs in my office and the notifications are off and I do not accept phone calls after that point in time. And again, I remember training my leader to to let him know that. I remember saying, hey, look, at eight o'clock, I I am shutting down. If it's an emergency, you can contact this other number, which would be my husband's, but they would never contact. They would never do that. I made it very clear. And that allowed me to read, which is another one of my restorative activities that I find very, very energizing. And 
I started to feel like I had some control over my life. So the changes don't have to be large. They can be, but oftentimes the greatest, the greatest changes are really small tweaks that generate massive impact and start to recharge your battery. And I can't tell you, there's just so many examples of stories like that where people have been able to transcend that high pressure. That was exactly the way for me when I was building in the five minutes at the park. It would make yeah. it a huge game changer. And, yeah. and it's such a like low hanging fruit too. Yeah. And just five minutes. <laughs> and I, yeah, just five minutes. And I think it goes back with noticing the idea of like, I don't have control over my day or I don't have control over what I'm doing and how much I'm working. That is the one belief that we need to like toss out and mm-hmm. flush yeah. down the river. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Let that one go. Because the moment you start to think, what do I have control over? And no, I do have control because every time I say yes to something and even me saying yes mm-hmm. to this job and this type of career and working at this high pressure company, they're all choices, mm-hmm. right? They're mm-hmm. all choices. And when we own the choices and we can, I think that's when really that the empowerment comes from where we think, oh, yeah, it's my choice. And actually with that in mind, what better choices can I make? What can, what are some of the tweaks I can implement? Cause at the end of the day, I'm the CEO yeah. of my day in my life. Yeah. I love that Ramona. And you are reminding me of something I uh, sent out to my, my clients today, which is, and it's not my statement. So the props don't go to me, but it was, it was something to the lines of you become what you say yes to. Mm-hmm. And I love that so much because guess what? If you, if you're the individual at work that always plans the holiday party, you're going to become the manager who always plans the holiday party. If you're the individual that everyone goes to for last minute reports, because you happen to be really good at Excel, guess what? You're going to be the manager that is consistently asked to complete those Excel reports. So being really impeccable with your yeses is so important. And I used to always say when I was coaching new leaders in HR, be very careful of what we call non-promotable tasks, because sometimes we associate saying yes to everything as being highly loyal, deserving, promotion worthy. And in fact, the opposite is also true. Yes, you might get promoted, but you might get promoted with the understanding that they can still keep asking you to do all the things that they don't want to do. You know, a promotable task is one that adds value to the strategy of the organization or leads to some measurement that is going to bring the organization forward. So be very careful about what you choose to say yes to. And, you know, just very quickly, a a great boundary with that is that sounds like a really great idea. Who can you ask to complete that for you? Because I'm working on this. Mm -hmm. And so it's just another way of like signaling, but also changing the dynamic with the person asking that you don't do those particular things, not because you're above it, but because you are working on other priorities that take precedence. Mm -hmm. Because you saying yes to something means saying no to something else. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely. So speaking about saying yes and saying no, this is definitely something that a lot of people struggle with. And I hear this, I want to say like maybe three to four times a week. Yeah. Someone says to me, I'm having a really hard time saying no two things. And that's something I have to learn when you're thinking about, um, specific ways to do so and to do so better, um, Mm -hmm. to avoid what you call the fallout that comes with that. We, that actually doesn't come with saying no, but that we fear so much when saying no, 
Yeah. What types do you have for us? I would say, um, again, I always like to start with a bit of an, like an audit or an inventory, if you will. So what do you typically say yes to? So that would be the first question I would ask someone. What do you typically say yes to? And what do you typically say yes to that you really don't want to do? And so they would say, let's just say Excel reports. That's my personal example because I can't stand mm-hmm. Excel. But <laughs> so then we would say, okay, well, what is it about that that really is, you know, like problematic for you? And they'll, you know, they'll have answers. Well, it takes me away from this, which is what I really love to do. So then what would happen is we would then just practice. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a no, it is about delegating. So then it's like saying, knowing how to then say, you know who else I know who's really good at this? I suggest him or her, and you can talk to them about completing that for you. So you're not really saying no, you're just redirecting them to another individual, perhaps on your team that may be better suited to that type of activity. Because I think to go from saying, if you're starting to create new boundaries right from the get-go, and you're going from always saying yes to now all of a sudden saying no, you're going to feel highly uncomfortable with it. And so I think it's really better to then think of an alternative as a first step to say, I know so-and-so can do it. They would be a great resource for you. I'll put you in touch with him or her. And that's a nice, easy way to segue. But even before that, as I'm thinking about this question, it's the deservability, right? So it comes back down to being deserving of completing high value tasks or high value activities or high value work. So what's getting in the way of you feeling deserving of the ability to say no to something? And oftentimes it's people pleasing, right? It's fear of confrontation. It's sometimes not having the skills to be able to know how to deflect or to put, you know, to suggest someone else. So sometimes we start with skills, but the reason saying no is difficult and because many people don't do it is because it feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so in order for it to start feeling comfortable, that is only going to come through consistent, repeated practice and building that self-trust that you can say no, but start small, like I said earlier, but also even before that, who are you to say you can't say no, right? Mm-hmm. Like really understanding your role, your value, and whether or not that is really truly felt. I, mm-hmm. I talk to so many people who don't really, they still live with that imposter syndrome. And I know that's a term that's, you know, some people agree with or don't agree with, but it's that I'm not the leader type or I'm not good enough. And if you don't address that first, boundaries or saying no is going to be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about this, make clients, but also on this podcast a lot. When we think about behavioral change or growth in general, and everyone here listening is listening to this because they want to grow as a leader. They want to be better and, you know, be their best selves. And when it comes to their career and we cannot address only the top of the iceberg, the things that are visible and that we all look at illuminate sort of that the ice at the top of the iceberg but then we have to look at that shadowy darker edgy Mm -hmm. bigger bulkier part that's underneath the surface I know how to say no I figure Mm -hmm. out how to redirect or to Mm -hmm. delegate yep but then I have to also shift the bottom of the iceberg yes and to figure out like how do I redefine my value to not be the person who just says yes to everything and that gives me that sense of validation. What do you call it? The validation vampire. Validation vampire. Yeah, yeah. I know. 
and not give in to that. But instead, I'm being incredibly impeccable, like you said, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. what I say yes to, because that mm-hmm. defines the value that I bring to the organization. And I focus on the highest value items on my list. And then I manage expectations around that. I love that you are talking about this with, with your listeners, Ramona, because quite often when leadership starts to feel hard, many times the root of it is that the individual in the leadership role doesn't feel equipped. They may feel equipped technically, and we both know that there's plenty of leaders that are technically gifted, Mm -hmm. but don't have the necessary emotional intelligence or self-awareness. So one of the things I think is so critical for new leaders is develop the self-awareness to like really understand your blind spots Mm -hmm. and where you feel quote unquote less than address that replace Mm -hmm. that thinking with something else. Mm -hmm. And then you'll find boundaries will start to feel easier because what you're telling yourself Mm -hmm. is a lot more um, kind to be blunt. Yeah. Yeah. So just to make that really tactical, what, for example, is a thought or a belief that holds people back, makes it harder to set boundaries in place, and what could they replace it with? One of the top ones I would say that I hear a lot about is, I can't say no because he's more senior than I am, or she's Mm -hmm. more senior. So those who are in higher authority roles, I would say that would be the first myth I would dispel. So one of the things you could tell yourself is, you know, I'm a subject matter expert in X, you know, let's say it's, you know, product development. Therefore, they are coming to me because I know this area well, and I'm going to offer this to them. So one of the things is dispelling that other people are more important because of their title. You are in this new role because you have the skills, talent, and ability. So you have to tell yourself, I'm the subject matter expert here, and I'm going to offer some suggestions in a spirit of service to these individuals. So mm-hmm. much better message that you can use to tell yourself. I think the second thing to make it more tactical is at the next meeting you go to, So if there's new leaders that are listening and they're at a meeting and they start to, you know, something is said and they're starting to feel like, I really want to say something here, but I'm afraid, right? And so they just stay quiet, which is a symptom of individuals who are burnt out or who are people pleasers, is to practice really speaking up. So just go to one, the very next meeting. So if your listeners are listening to right now and they have a meeting right after this podcast or a meeting tomorrow write down, when I hear something that I disagree with, I'm going to say, I have an alternate suggestion. I have another opinion, not Mm -hmm. may I give you an opinion or Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but because that Mm -hmm. denounces your power, but instead say, I have an opinion I'd like to share Mm -hmm. and just practice it. Like just practice it. And you know what? It is so liberating once you practice it and you, and you really start to feel how good that is you Mm -hmm. will start to see that your confidence will build as you go. Mm -hmm. So good. And it reminds me too, I recently had someone tell me, we were talking about saying no. And then this person came back to me and said, oh my gosh, you're going to be so happy with me because what happened since, (laughs) I was so proud of me. Because what happened since we last spoke was someone asked me to do a part of this project. And I said, actually, I'm prioritizing this other work right now. And so 
either you have to find another person who can step in or it will have to wait until like two weeks later. And my client was so worried about this other person, like being disappointed or upset or feeling like she's not a team player. And this other person reacted so positively to it. It was like, oh, totally didn't realize. Yeah, absolutely. And actually thinking about it, this other makes this other person makes more sense because then I can also bring in this. Okay, awesome. Right. And it lifted such weight off of my client's shoulders because she realized like, oh my gosh, I always thought people would react negatively, but the more that she does it, the more she sees this working out. (laughs) Everyone likes the clarity, right? Everyone likes the clarity that I'm setting. Yeah. And then she's respected, right? And this is the missing link sometimes that I think we forget about is that the more you do that, the more others come to see you as someone who speaks her mind, is honest, is direct. And they're getting the full picture, yeah. right? And so there's nothing worse than, you know, having that kind of passive aggressive type of leadership where you mm-hmm. can read their body language. They don't want to do it yet. They're not mm-hmm. saying anything. So when you are the opposite of that, and you are a direct leader who responds respectfully, but also smartly, then that tells the others, this is a woman I want to listen to because she is standing in her full command of her voice. So those are the types of people I know when I was a CHRO, I wanted to promote them because I knew what I was going to get with them and I respected them. Yeah. And it starts with the small things, right? That clarity of the boundaries and who I am and how I do life. And I'm in charge and I'm in control and I make choices in how I run my day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think we could talk for a lot, lot longer. I know, right? And so I was gonna, yeah, I was going to ask you for some tactical things, but I think we already identified several tactical things that people can do, sort of the low-hanging fruit, such as, yeah. you know, speaking your mind, identify the small shifts that align and rejuvenate. We also talked about starting with small things, like telling yeah. your child, no, nope, not buying nothing. <laughs> yeah, Oculus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, redirecting instead of saying no or sort of hard cut no. Mm-hmm. those are all super tactical tactical things that you shared um thank you so much you're welcome i i'm curious for people who get that sense of feeling overworked worrying about burning out and they enjoyed this conversation want to learn more about the work that you do and how you help your clients tell us where they can find you yeah they can it's very simple they can go to teresavoza.ca that's v o z z a in canada we say zz but i'm saying zz because i know we're so uh-huh. it's teresavoza.ca and as soon as they sign up for my newsletter they will get a free download of 12 boundary statements that they can use and practice next time they go into a meeting so very useful resource i get a lot of comments about it So that could be a practical thing that your viewers can download, take away, have beside them at their desk Mm, and just start to play with being the powerful person that they are. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to definitely link to that in the show notes. We're going to link to your website and I'm also going to link to your uh, LinkedIn profile because you always post such insightful, good stuff on LinkedIn too. Awesome. So make sure to link that. Go check it out um, and grab that downloadable. I'm going to do the same. Definitely something I think we can all use. (laughs) 
and have sure. handy at the times because even after practicing right even after getting yeah. more comfortable setting boundaries I think we all still at least for me I still oh, me get too. in situations of like oh awkward uncomfortable I don't want to say no um, for sure yeah it's a work in progress right and yeah. that's part of the journey of leadership is we're we're this never gets old or goes out of style we're always working <laughs> towards betterment <laughs> Exactly. It's uh, yeah. we're never like quite uh, reaching Nirvana. Always say it's that's like right. A, it's a light. It's a light dimmer. It's not a light that's switch. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I <laughs> it's love the infinite that. light dimmer. Thank you so much for being on the Manage to Track podcast, Teresa. This was such a blast talking with you about um, your story, burnout in general, and how you help your clients deal with this and set boundaries in place and really create like sustainable work life integration that feels really good and fulfilling. Oh, thank you, Ramona. It was such a pleasure to be here. And I think the work you do is just so important for new leaders. So kudos to you for taking a stance and and really being that leadership coach that people need during this time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.